0: First reading is 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm reading verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And the New Testament reading is from Mark. And we're reading chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word.
1: Thanks, Elaine. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to your word today, and Lord, we pray that you would make it real by your spirit that you would touch our hearts and renew us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been looking at the story of Elijah, and if you've got a, a Bible with you just this morning, you might want to have it open at chapter 19. The problem with the story of Elijah is that Elijah makes it the story of Elijah. And it's really the story of God. The people had rebelled against God under Ahab and Jezebel and God was going to do something about it. He sent the drought, first of all, to bring them to their senses, three years of it. And then he showed them that the storm god Baal that they were worshipping was no god at all and God sent Elijah to call them out. And on Mount Carmel, as we saw just two weeks ago, God sent fire down to consume the offering that Elijah had made, even though it was soaking wet, to show his power. And it worked. The people came to their senses. They began to shout, God is the only God and we will worship him. And then the Lord sent rain, a sign of his provision for his people, just as he'd always provided for Elijah The point in telling all of that story and reminding ourselves is just this, that all of these things were things that God did. God at work. But Elijah? Well, Elijah had been in the middle of it, but Elijah thought it was really all about Elijah. He had this little speech that he made as he complained to God. We find it in chapter 9 and verse 10. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What Elijah did in chapter 19, as we we saw, is he got to a point that he'd completely exhausted himself. He left God's people. He ran away into the wilderness. He sent his companion packing, and then he sat moping in social isolation, thinking that the whole thing depended on him. And we saw last week how God dealt with Elijah, how Elijah was fed by the Lord, how Elijah was restored by him, and Elijah was commended and commanded again to get back into the work that God had for him. Elijah was told at the end of the passage we read last week that he wasn't alone. In fact, he was told to go and appoint two godly kings, Elisha, to succeed him, and to say hi to the other 7,000 folk who were loyal to God as well. You are not indispensable. You are not indispensable. You really aren't. You may feel right now that you're holding your family together. You may feel right now that God is giving you a whole load of things to do, But you are not indispensable. God made the whole of the universe, and he didn't ask for my help or yours. What makes us think that we are so vital now? was Elijah's problem was that he was a one-man band. He thought it was all up to him. He ignored the fact that there were hundreds of other people who were involved in God's work. He ignored the fact that it was the Lord's power and the Lord's promise, and it just all seemed so much. It seemed to crush him. This is the problem with one-man bands, and so often churches produce them they crush the person who's running around trying to do it all, who thinks that they're the Messiah, they're holding the whole organization together. But they crush other people too. I was reading this last week in, in, in real sadness of a chap called Ravi Zecharias. This chap had a, a ministry in Canada. He was a missionary, an author, a speaker, a philosopher, a great Christian leader, he formed a, a ministry organization, unsurprisingly, called Ravi Zacharias International Ministry, as you can imagine, all centered on him. But then after his death last year, the accounts began to come out of horrific abuse of young women, of manipulation, of lies, of hypocrisy, of dozens of lives damaged by it. Now there's all sorts of things that we could say of that unimaginable hurt, but at least one part of it is it's sort of what happens when you have a one-man band of someone who's left unaccountable, unquestioned, the leadership of me. Now Elijah was certainly no Ravi Zacharias, but he had an ego problem. And what we will see in this passage is that God dealt with it. The instruction had come to him just before the passage we read simply with this. I want you to anoint your successor. And just to confuse us, the successor is called Elisha. So we've got Elijah and Elisha just to keep us on our toes. But suddenly at this passage, the story begins to change. The story of Elijah becomes the story of Elisha which sort of reminds us as we go through it that it was never really the story of Elijah at all. In fact it never really will be the story of Elisha either. It's always the story of God. What are the lessons that we can learn from this? Well, there are various lessons just from these short verses, verses 19 to 21. The first is that God uses very different people. Elijah and Elisha might have very similar names just to confuse us, but actually they're immensely different. We 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 noted when we when we introduced Elijah that Elijah was a nobody. The Bible didn't bother mentioning his father because he was from a family that just didn't matter. He was a hick from nowhere. He was a Tishbeite from Tishbe. We don't even know where Tishbe was. It just was somewhere unimportant. Elisha, well, he was the opposite he was the son of Shephat. And the one fact that we're told about him in these two or three verses here is that he was sitting with a family which had 12 yoke of oxen, 24 oxen. Now, you use the oxen to pull a plow, to plow a field. If you had 24 plowing teams, sorry, 12 plowing teams, 24 oxen, then not only were you wealthy enough to own all those oxen and graze all those oxen, you must have had an awful lot of land to plow. This is a privileged man. I guess today's terms, um, if Elijah went to the local comprehensive school, Elisha probably went to Eton. He was somebody who was born with privilege and money. But you know, the thing is, God didn't care. We get really hit up with people's backgrounds. God doesn't mind. One man's rich, one man's poor, but he'll use them both. The church, Paul writes, is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, neither slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. No matter what our our background is, what matters is our baptism. So Elijah comes to commission, Elisha. And we're told that he does it simply by handing him his cloak. The cloak was obviously an important marker, right? Rather like a minister's robes of Elijah's distinctive ministry. An important role that Elisha was being given. But I think Elisha probably knew something that Elijah often forgot. And that was this, that actually, although Elisha was being called to this prophetic role, there were actually quite a few prophets There were a hundred prophets that Obadiah had saved that we met earlier. And Elisha later on will be visiting different places and, and meeting whole schools of prophets. People called to speak God's word. Elisha understood this. Elisha was a team player. And as we come to the New Testament, that message of people called to being prophets is (coughs) broadened out. In fact, the book of Acts says, as the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, all of God's people are called to prophesy. That doesn't mean telling the, the future. It means all of us are called to have God's word within us and to be able to share God's word in all that we do and all that we say. We talk today about the important ministries in the church as if they were special. The ordination of the minister of word and sacrament. But there is a sense that when we are baptized, each and every one of us are ordained. We're called into the people of God, to be part of the people of God, to use the gifts that we all have. We aren't just a priesthood of all believers where we all stand before God equally. We are engaged in a ministry of all believers. Sometimes, I'm I'm quite tempted to take these dog collars that us ministers wear and hand them out to everybody in the congregation to make the point that we're all in this together. I think Elisha understood this. He understood also that there was a cost in what he was being called to do. You see him in this passage saying goodbye to his parents and, and then burning his bridges. He literally takes the oxen, uh, the, the, sorry, the, 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 plow, the plowing gear that he's been use, using to plow the field, and he burns it, just like the followers of Jesus in the New Testament would leave their nets to follow him. Understanding that this is a distinctive call as we come to follow Jesus Christ on the way of discipleship, we literally leave one way of life behind us and follow in a new one. we are not indispensable but we are called and we are wanted every single one of us and the church the church is to be a place not just that we find welcome but that we find purpose that we have this common purpose in this mission that god has given us to take the good news to every part of our community to share in his justice and his love in our service. But that purpose is for each one of us. And each one of us brings something to it. And we are called to build one another up in the different gifts that we have in order that we might be effective. Elijah comes in this passage and he puts the cloak on Elisha. It's an invitation to be part of this new work. But here's the thing I found quite amazing as, as I looked at this. Elijah doesn't say anything to Elijah. He doesn't say, well here's the ministry I'm in, let me describe the work that we're doing and, and would you like to be part of this and, and, and here's what God will do for you. He doesn't do any of that. He simply hands him the cloak and Elisha immediately knows what this is all about. He knows the cost that's involved. He knows that he's going to have to follow on. He knows exactly what he's being asked to do. And I was left looking at this passage and thinking, how does Elisha know all that? When Elijah said nothing. Well here's my theory might not be right, but here's my theory, that Elisha had already sensed God's calling. Elisha already knew that God was calling him into this work, possibly for months, if not years before. He was waiting. He was waiting for Elijah You see, what had happened here was Mr. prima donna, Mr. I'm indispensable Elijah, Mr. I'm taking on the whole world myself, wasn't the type of person that went around asking other people to be involved. He forgot all the other prophets. It's just me. And it was only when God said, this is not the way I want to do it, Elijah. You're not holding up the whole universe together. It was only then that Elijah went to Elisha and said, you're up. You see, what's happening here in one sense is more abuse. Mr. prima donna that's holding up the whole world thinks he's doing all this for everybody else, but actually what he's doing is holding back Elisha and others that also have a part to play in what God is doing. I think very often churches can be like that. We're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to enable and empower one another that we all can serve one another in the body of Christ. But sometimes our structures do the opposite. We are not enabling each other, but rather we're holding one another back. It's why the church needs to be very wary of putting people on pedestals, of having prima donnas and folk who think they're indispensable, because what it does is it diminishes the church. Let me say very clearly as a new minister in a new congregation who's still got to get to know most of you after this is all over. If you find me doing that, please tell me off. And if I find you expecting me to do that, I'll tell you off. The work that we should be involved in is a work that we do together where we enable and empower and encourage one another in what God has done for us. So, what were Elijah and Elisha like? The interesting thing was that this wasn't just a straight handover. In fact, if you read the early chapters of the book of 1 Kings and the later chapters, sorry, the later chapters of the book of 1 Kings and the early chapter of the book of 2 Kings, you'll find that the two of them traveled together for a number of years. Elijah, the mentor and guide, Elijah very much looked to him. In fact, it was very interesting that as Elijah came to the end of his ministry in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, the one thing that Elisha says is, Lord, grant me his strength. Let me be like him. Let me have his enthusiasm. There is no doubt that Elisha felt he had learned so much from Elijah. He had seen such an example that had encouraged him. And yet, The relationship was definitely two ways. As they traveled on the way, and you'll find this again in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha not only supported Elijah, Elisha was connected to a whole host of other prophets, schools of prophets. It was as if the young man brought the older man to this understanding that he wasn't alone. He wasn't holding the world up together. And so the two, in their different ways, blessed one another as they went forward together. Together is so important. If there's one thing that lockdown has taught us, it has to be this, loneliness is not good. If you'd told me last year that I was going to have a year where meetings were going to be cancelled, where I wasn't being able to go on holiday, where I wasn't going to be able to travel. I would have told you that I would achieve so much in a year like that when the diary was clear. I would read a whole pile of books and I would do a whole load of things and I, I would write a whole load of things. But if I'm honest, it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened because for me, I certainly know that being cut off from other people doesn't make me more productive. It makes me less productive. And In many ways, it it, it puts me in a place where I, I struggle spiritually as well. Is that your experience? I've been talking to a lot of folk who've said the same thing, that they found themselves over this last year not being terribly productive, even though everything's taken from them. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because we are designed as human beings to flourish together. And we're designed as a church to build one another up together. The Bible put it very clearly right at the beginning in the book of Genesis where God says it is not good for a man to be alone. That's the reason that there's marriage. It's a reason that there's families. It's a reason that there's community. It's a reason that there's church. It's not good for us to be alone. And whether you're married or single, it doesn't matter. We need each other. We need the differences. We need people. C.S. Lewis helpfully told this story. He had a a chap who came to him one time and said, I I want to be a Christian and I want to follow Jesus Christ, but I I, I don't want to be part of the church. Is that all right? And C.S. Lewis simply looked at the young man and as they were sitting there, there was a coal fire. And Lewis took the tongs and took one of the red hot coals out of the fire and put it on the hearth and watched as the coal went from hot to cold. The lesson? Together. We encourage one another. Together we build one another up. Together we keep one another on fire for the Lord Jesus. But when we are apart, it is so much harder. So Elijah and Elisha were to travel together and encourage one another. And there was to be an end to the sense of I can do it all myself. But notice something else. How this verse ends. It says simply this: Elijah set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Now, there's a little bit of a contrast here because in the earlier passage, and you have to go to verse back a little bit to verse um, 16. God had said to Elijah, "Anoint Elisha to be your successor." And here we have Elisha called, and he becomes Elijah's servant. So which is it? Was Elijah, Elisha rather, to be, God, to be Elijah's successor, to be the new prophet, the new big man? Or was he to be a servant? And, and, and that we struggle with, actually, for the next few chapters. At one point, Eli, Elisha is called the man of God. And another point, we're told that Elisha poured water over the hands of Elijah, which literally means he washed his hands. He was his servant. He was cleaning up after him. But I think Elisha probably understood that the two things went together. To serve, you needed humility. And to serve God, you need humility. Jesus said in the passage that we read from the New Testament, If you want to be great, you have to learn to be a servant. The the, the context to that was two of his disciples, James and John, squabbling about who would have the top seats in the kingdom of God. Who would be really important? Who would be leading the whole thing? And Jesus to them spoke of his own ministry. The Son of Man, he said, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the truth of the gospel that transforms our own relationships. Jesus, the Holy One of God, the one through whom God made the whole universe, became our servant. He gave his all for us. And he did that when we didn't deserve any of it. That is the gospel, the one who died for us. And that destroys our pretensions. We can't be prima donnas who think we're holding the whole world up because we're told that we're people who are completely reliant on what Jesus Christ did for us. But there's more. You see, when we have accepted that the one Who is king of all, has become our servant, then we can do nothing other than in response to that serve not just him, but serve one another. And the limiting factor on our serving and our building up and our encouraging one another is so very often that we look at the other person and we think, why should I do that for you? What have you done for me? What do you give me? What do I get out of this? But at the heart of the gospel is that understanding that we are remade in our baptism because Jesus Christ did everything that we needed for us and served us and debased himself for us. And when we understand that, suddenly we look at one another and we seek to serve and to encourage and to build one another up. In these next months, it will be so very important that we do that, that we use every opportunity to listen to one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to help one another find our purpose in the body of Christ as we seek to serve him. And right now, when we cannot meet physically, can I simply encourage you again to take every opportunity that you can find on social media, on a telephone call, wherever it is, to look out for each other, to build one another up. For in doing that, we are the people of the Jesus who served us. We are not indispensable, but we are called. And together, we are given this mission, this purpose, and this spirit. May God bless us all together today. Amen.